All right, we got a lot, a lot to do this morning. So, just gonna tell you a funny little story and hit at it here. Uh, last week we went and picked up. Uh, th- there's a lift that's like goes up and down that somebody lets Element borrow all the time, and uh, somebody else had borrowed it. We went to pick it up at this other church last week that had borrowed it. And it's kind of funny as Mikey and James and I walk in, and, and the place is like spotless, it's immaculate, it's like, you know, here, Element always looks lived in. It's like somebody like, you know, ran some dirt and then slid across the ground half the time, and, and you know, it's, anyway, so we're standing there, and, J- and James goes, I just want to ask him, you know, what do they do with the water? Because if you walk upstairs here, we got buckets everywhere holding the water. He goes, he goes, I want to know where their buckets are. There, there's no buckets to catch the water. What do they do when it rains? And I'm like, that's funny. Because we have, seriously, you want some extra water? We got it in buckets upstairs right now. It's, it's, all right. Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are bio. Oh, there's no. Hey, Mikey, Bibles. We'll throw some Bibles out in the back. <laughs> I was going to say, there's no Bibles in the back. Uh, there will be Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the community tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, even better, you download an app. It's called Uversion. And on Uversion, you click on Live. It will bring us up by GPS. You will get all the sermon notes. You'll get the questions. Uh, you'll get everything that we go through as well as um, uh, the, the GC questions on the back. I think I said that right Yeah, whatever. It's, it's a tough morning. I was up all, all yesterday setting up for our agape dinner today. If you're, if you're coming to my house, you better be thankful. Because <laughs> I'm like just half asleep right now. Anyway, uh, so your smartphone, do that also on your smartphone. If you feel like you don't want to go back to sign up for one of the agape dinners, but you want to go, just take your, in your smartphone, get a QR reader, scan the bi- bottom right-hand corner of the uh, sermon notes this morning. It'll bring up to a web page. You can actually sign up for the Agape Dinners as well. I got two things, three things to tell you about. Uh, the first one is we do have men's and women's activities in the month of December. Uh, the, the men's activity, we do this thing called tree killing because we have this thing about killing things and we're men, we kill things. So we're taking, basically we're going out to a Christmas tree farm and if you want to come with your family, when I was a kid, some of the best memories I had was going out with my family to a Christmas tree farm and cutting down a tree, not going to the Home Depot and it's like, oh, I'll take that one. Woo, I'm a man. No, you go out with your saw and you cut it off from its source of nutrients and life. <laughs> Strap it on top of your car, take it home, plant it in your living room. Tell the kids, don't get near it with, with the candles because it'll go up and the house will go up in flames. But spray it with fire retardant. You'll be okay. Anyway, so we're going to go do this. We're going to invite you guys. We are not buying your trees, but on December 3rd at 10 o'clock, meet in the parking lot here. We're all going to go up to the place together as families, chop down trees. If you have like a Yugo and you can't take your tree back with you, although it is funny when you strap it to the top, we are going to bring a trailer. You can put it in the back, put your address. We will drop off your tree for you. Because we're, you're welcome. We're, we're like that for you. So you don't have any excuse not to come out and chop down a living tree and stick it in your home. It's such a crazy thing to, to do that, but it's whatever. The, the second thing I want to talk about is we do have a women's activity in the month of December, and they're going to do a potluck slash uh, ornament exchange. It's going to be at Denise Bray's house. So uh, if you want, you can just email info at ourelman.org. If you don't know who Denise Bray is or where she lives, we'll pass on your information to her. It's going to start at 6 o'clock on December 13th. So bring something yummy to share and an ornament to exchange. Preferably like the ones that you plug in there. It'll be really cool if they had an ornament that you could plug in. And it was like a guy going on a tree. And then and like maybe every two minutes it would go, the tree would go, thunk. Then it goes, and then, 
I just thought of that. Some of you are like, wow. Some of you can tell. I know. Uh, that, that would be an awesome ornament. Anybody want to make it and then give me credit for it? Okay. There are now Bibles in the back. <laughs> Why don't you guys stand me reading God's Word? This is 2 Corinthians 1, 7. And it says, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also, so also you share in our comfort. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as your people can actually do that and begin to live our lives where we share in each other's comfort, share in each other's joy, and essentially share all that you have done in us with each other. Father, we thank you for being a good God who loves us in this way. Amen. Have a seat. So this is our last week in our series on the people of hope. Hopefully it'll be shorter since I had James Sharon for a little bit. Uh, and just to let you know, even though our series on hope ends, hope does not. It does keeps keeps going. Uh, now, okay, so I was asking if anybody has Romans 12, 12 memorized by this week. First service, amazing. All right, so let's see if you guys got it. Romans 12, 12. Nice, the 10 of you in the front couple rows. Way to go. Here you go, everybody else. Write this down. Memorize it. There's going to be some point in your life where you are just stuck and down. And when we can quote scripture like Jesus did, it actually does a lot to lift up our spirits and focus us more on him. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That's what people of God are supposed to look like. We are to live and be this people of hope. When people see how we trust God and have hope in him and confidence in the person of Christ, it should make their lives go, what is different about them? Kind of like James and his kid over in Indonesia. Now, why don't you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Uh, Mark chapter 2, this is the portrait of hope we're going to take you through today. Uh, I think this is simply one of the greatest stories in the Bible. And if you hate hearing me talk about gospel community week after week, you're really going to hate today. So you're welcome. I'm just warning you up front. Put on your listening ears. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to go 1 through 12, I'm just going to read it, then we'll talk about it. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. He is Jesus, by the way. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Obviously. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is an amazing story. I mean, you've got to imagine this. If you're this guy, what is your life like? You're, you're living before power wheelchairs, before any type of hospice care. Your whole life is literally a three-by-six mat. I know it says bed in the translation, but it's literally, it's not a nice cushy bed you went around everywhere. It was a nice little mat. Someone has to feed you. Someone has to clothe you. Someone moves you to keep you from getting covered with bed sores. If you go pee or poop, someone actually has to wash you. And if we were very honest about it, most of us would say, that's when I want to go. You know, I, I don't want to live if somebody else has to wash me when I go to the bathroom. If this happens later in life, you know everything that you've lost. If it happens from the day you were born, you don't know anything different. So you never know 
true independence. And there's no surgeries, there's no rehab, there's no treatment. You in this society cannot contribute to it. You have to go through your entire life as a beggar. And I I wonder when I think about this guy, when when he dreams at night, does he dream that he is healthy? Does he dream he can walk? Does he dream he can run? Does he dream he gets married? Does he dream he has a job? Does he dream he has kids he can actually play with? But then he probably wakes up, looks at the ceiling in this body that's a prison cell on a method of this world, and he's never going to be free. He has no money, no influence, no future. Where is this guy's hope? Well, you know where it is? Well, it's in his friends. He has great friends. That's what this guy has going for him. He has the best gospel community of all time. This whole story takes place because of his friends. They take him to see Jesus. He gets healed. He gets forgiven. These things happen because he has some good friends who hope for him, even when he may not have any hope for himself. Friendship. Friendship. This should always bring hope to people because this is based in community. That God has redeemed us so we can have community with Him and each other again. That is the basis. God gives this great gift to us in our lives. For this guy, friendship just does not happen by accident because of this physical condition he has. The odds are against him having any type of relationship in his life. I mean, in our world today, how do we treat those with disabilities? Well, many times, besides building them ramps everywhere to go, but many times we treat them with indifference because we don't really know what to do. People with physical challenges say that the greatest obstacle is the attitudes of normal people because normal people don't know how to respond. They don't know how to talk to them. It's not that they're unkind. They just don't know what to do with them. They, they look away instead of meeting their eyes so they don't have to have conversations. Uh, in first service, we usually have a girl that sits up here. Her name's Lindsay. She sits in the front row. And I don't know how many of you have ever talked to her, if you ever come to first service, but you should say hi to her sometime. She's, she's hilarious. She's got all these crazy jokes. And then she tells me, she's like, she's great. You should meet her sometime. In our ancient culture, though, it was way worse than this. Greeks regularly disposed of newborns with any physical abnormalities. Aristotle, you go to philosophy class, oh, Aristotle, he's just the best guy, forward thinker that he is. Aristotle says this, let there be a law that no deformed child shall be raised. In 5th century Rome, there was a law that said quickly kill any deformed child. Even in Israel, who believed that, that God bestowed life on people and it's a great gift, they still had a couple hang-ups. In, in uh, John 9, 1 and 2, it says, As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the Jews assumed that any physical abnormality or defect was because of your sin. Now, it could be, but Jesus says that's not true. It's not every abnormality that happens is because of somebody's sin. This guy has friends. They overcome great social obstacles. They overcome great inconvenience. They offer time and energy to be friends. Alan McGinnis says that the the way to a good friendship is to assign top priority to your relationships. We in our lives somehow devote more time and energy to anything but our relationship with Jesus and other people. And those are the two things we should devote most of our time to. Yet we neglect it. In Acts, it talks about how the early church actually grew. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The original church, they didn't meet day by day in a building like this. They met in people's homes, getting to know each other, doing true community. I mean, no wonder they're so close. They worship together. They pray together. They talk together. You know, the, the biggest single barrier today that people say to connection and friendship is the pace of our lives. 
Uh, you know, we, people say, oh, you want to be in a GC? Like, oh, I don't have any time to do that. I understand this a little bit. I have a friend, his name is David Willer. He moved out of town. He moves back about like a year and a half ago. And we have been trying to get together for lunch for a year and a half. Still hasn't happened yet. I understand how busy things can be. But I will tell you, you cannot listen to somebody else in a hurry. When someone's hurt, you cannot mourn with them in a hurry. Even when someone's happy, you cannot really rejoice with someone in a hurry. And our vernacular for the story today, you cannot carry someone's mat in a hurry. And everybody has a mat. I think this paralyzed guy goes through a lot to be friends. He probably wrestles with his dependence. Everyone gets to walk home after they hang out except for him. Maybe in a dark spot, he maybe wishes he could trade places with one of his friends. Maybe he struggles with how they saw all of his neediness. But in order for someone to help you, you have to learn to be vulnerable. You have to let somebody carry your mat. We spend too much time acting like we ourselves don't have a mat because what if someone did see our vulnerabilities? Oh no, how would they respond? What would they do? If someone decides, yeah, I'm going to help you and carry you through this, well, they could drop you. I mean, this is the gift between friends and gospel community. It is a trusting vulnerability, it is dependable faithfulness, and it is an unwavering hope of what God intends to do in our lives. Wherever people love and serve in the face of weakness is this fellowship. It it could come in an AA meeting where people are walking with each other through things. Hopefully it comes in our gospel communities. Hopefully it comes in families. Everybody has a mat. Everybody has a mat of some sort. Yours could be maybe your temper. Maybe you lash out in anger at people around you. Maybe spew words out of your mouth. You need people to come alongside you and help hold you accountable for that. Maybe you have a whole lot of fear. Maybe you hear stories as we talk to the people of hope of of these stories of of courage. You wish, I wish that could be me. Well, you have some friends come alongside you and say, you know, let's go and move into places of courage. Maybe you feel like you just can't trust anybody. Well, good reason to get into a gospel community because you will have to learn how to trust people because you will end up at some point probably hurting each other a little bit. But you will understand hope better. You see, people pretend they don't have a mat. And you may be trying to convince everybody that you don't have one, but at some point your secret's got to come out of the bag because in order to live in true community, people have to be vulnerable. So my question's for you, is who carries your mat? Who do you show your weaknesses and struggles to? Who do you ask to pray for you when everything's falling apart? Who do you let see your brokenness? Who helps you to better understand Jesus and hope and the hope that he brings? This should be your friends. See, if you, if you want true friendships, you cannot always be the strong one. And I think maybe this story brings these people together because this guy's weakness is so visible and they all become a little bit more honest. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to walk through it kind of quickly here, but I just want to take you through it. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So Jesus comes back home. It was like, Jesus is home. So it's reported these guys want to see him. Uh, you know, they probably had a conversation like, okay, let's go see Jesus. He's in town. We got, it's like the concert. Like, oh, we, we got to go. Grab everybody. We're going. And, and they're probably thinking, well, we just can't go. We got to get him there, right? They're their buddy, th- th- this him. Because if things are true about Jesus, Jesus just might heal this guy. And I will tell you, it, in anything you do, taking a paralyzed guy along with you makes it that much harder to get somewhere, right? And so, so they kind of get up and they're like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go see Jesus. We're gonna pick you up 9 a.m. and and we're gonna go to church. Some of you guys should do this with your friends. You should be, you got these friends who are like, oh, I don't know if we really want to go. Great, I'll be there at 9 a.m. or 9.30 or 11. You guys are late. You know, oh, I'll show up at 11 because they don't start till 11.10 anyway. You know, I'll, I'll, 
We're trying to do better. This morning wasn't so good. But, you know, well, I'm going to pick you up. Pick up your friends for church. Bring them with you. After it's done, take them out for lunch. Invite them to your gospel community. Go out with them. Literally, when they take this guy and pick him up to go see Jesus, they literally have to pick him up because he's on a mat. Verse 2. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So they get there. Again, when you take the paralyzed guy, it takes you longer to get there. So they get there, and they're late, and it's packed. Jesus is very close, but no one put a Bible or sermon notes on the chair to set a place for him. So it's like, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to get in? So they start to brainstorm, you know, what are we going to do with this? And so I, no such thing as a dumb idea. Uh, so finally, one of them, I think, is probably the youngest. He probably says, I got an idea. Let's climb up on the roof, and we'll go through the roof. It's like an ornament, right? It's a great idea. It's, it's awesome. And his friends are probably like, okay, let's get other ideas. Anybody else? All right, so somebody's got another. And no one has one. So they're like, oh, all right, the, the roof it is. They're so desperate to get to Jesus, so strong is their faith in Jesus, so much is their hope in what he can do for their friend. Now, insulas typically look like this, the houses of the day. Bigger house of the day, anyway, kind of look like this. They usually got an outside staircase that went up onto the roof. So they're going to go and they're going to remodel. Verse 3, And they came bringing him to paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now imagine you are in this crowd. You know, it's, maybe it's your house. You're like, oh my goodness, what are these freaks doing? Crazy things in my house. There's a commotion. Maybe some things start to fall, and all of a sudden the whole roof collapses, and then these, then these hands make it, make it bigger. You know, it's like, look what Jesus does when he comes over. Gospel community can be messy at times. Moses' shrubs get all burnt, and this guy loses a roof. Uh, eventually, I think everybody's looking up. And, and, and this is, it took me a while to find this picture, because most other ones had the guy, like, on a bed. It was all nice, and they're, like, on ropes, just lowering him down. I think this is what it's really like. I mean, not Jesus, obviously, in the hood, be all, you know. But, but the guy like that, I mean, he's on this thing. He's just hanging there, because he, he's a paralytic, right? He's, like, laying there. Can't we do it? That's more what it would look like. That's a great picture of of what it is. And and, and I will tell you this. These guys, I think, built some great community by roof crashing. I think the rest of their lives, no matter what happened in the situation, they'd be, remember that time we busted that guy's roof? It was his dumb idea, but, you know, we did it anyway. And I think they totally remember the rest of their lives. I'll tell you, most barriers that keep people separated are just like that roof. They're actually very fragile. I'll give you one. Television. Okay, I, I think television is great. Okay, I, I love Fringe. If you don't like Fringe, you should be watching it. All right, maybe not. Whatever. Okay, but Fringe is, is a great show. But I'll tell you, the Ameri- average American watches four hours of TV every single day. That is three to four times as much as we spend talking to other people. Dolores Kieran, who is a communication expert, she has found that the two most common phrases spoken in American households are "What's on?" and "Move." That's terrible. <laughs> Because we have exchanged, oh, you're like, oh, yeah, that's my house too. We have exchanged community for a box. Friends are those who have made roof crashing commitments just like this. Uh, You know, it, it seems like we have begun now to confuse friends with friendly people. Like the water guy comes to my house, right? And he starts checking the meter. I'm, maybe I'm playing ball with my dog. My dog's all, oh, water guy, water guy. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's all, hey, how you doing? He's just taking my money as always doing. He's not really my friend, right? If I'm like lost, I go, boop, hey, on star. Hey, Mr. Carlberg, it's been a couple months since you called us. How you doing? And I'm like, oh, they're not my friend. I pay him to do that. 
Friends are nice and helpful, but that's not all that a true friend is. Friends are committed in a way that your best buy employee is not. All right? Yuri Bronfenbrenner's definition of family is this. A group which possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. Irrational. We carry people through roofs and don't even ask, what's in it for me? See, to ho- offer hope and friendship in this way takes two things. It takes noticing and doing. If you see a friend who's discouraged, do you ask them, hey, what's going on? Do you, do you send a note? Do you make a phone call? When you see someone who needs to talk, do you actually listen? Here's a good one that's really simple. Maybe you're out doing something, when you see something kind of cheap, and you, and you say, oh, so-and-so would really think that's cool. And you pick it up and you just give it to them. I'm not saying like you spend like, here's a car, unless you can do that, whatever. But, you know, it's like, hey, found a Pez dispenser. It looks like you. Ding, here. You know, something like that. It's got a pumpkin head, just like you. I don't, you know, and, and you give us some... I got these friends, Pete and Michelle Newman. Uh, they were in Las Vegas a while ago. And I didn't ask what happened because you know what happens in Vegas kind of stays there. But they... Thank you. But, but they, but they sent me this text and they go, hey, what size are you? And I told them and they come back and they give me this t-shirt and it says, Element Las Vegas. And I'm like, awesome. That's so cool. You know, friends are thinking about their friends. It's, it's more, as I said in the Best Buy employee, it's more than the water guy. And friends also think about their friends' mats. Because we all have a mat. And what is your mat? Your mat is what you're least proud of and what you want to hide the most. It's the thing that you think of. If other people knew it, they would run screaming away from you. Number one in our life, our lives should be formed and shaped by Jesus Christ. But for better or worse, we are usually shaped more by people than anything else. And God uses people to heal people. Jean Venier writes this, A community is never there just for itself or for its own glory. It comes from and belongs to something much greater and deeper, the heart of God to bring humanity to fulfillment. A community is never an end in itself. It is but a sign pointing further and deeper, calling people to love. This is true community and trust. I, mean, I don't know if you can imagine the guy on the mat. This is the biggest risk of his life. They're going to put him through a roof. And can you trust your friends to keep you safe? I mean, if they carry you somewhere and they drop you, you're probably not going to die. They drop you from the roof, you're probably going to die. Right? So you've got to trust them a little bit. Can you trust the crowd? And you're getting lowered into a room. They all brought Bibles and put sermon notes down and saved their seats. You know, you just coming through the roof. What are they going to do? If they get unruly, you can't defend yourself. You're paralyzed. Right? Can you trust Jesus? Is Jesus going to help you? Does Jesus want to help you? Will Jesus help you? Is he going to be mad that you interrupted him? And so you sit on this roof, and I'm sure the friends are like, ready to go? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. You're going. I don't know. And he, and he goes, and, the, and, the, and, he, and his life is never the same because he decided to trust his friends and trust Jesus. Now, if you didn't know Jesus, you'd probably wonder how the guy's actually going to respond. I don't think Jesus always liked to be interrupted, right? He comes before cell phones and pagers and all that. So, you know, I think he came at a time when he wanted to with all this stuff. I think Jesus looks up and sees these friends who are thinking, man, if we could just get our buddy close to Jesus. And there's an amazing line in Mark 2, 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus normally says, your faith has healed you. But here he sees the friends. Do you have any idea what your faith can do for your friends? Any idea? When you truly live for the gospel so your friends can actually see it. I mean, there, there is no record that the guy said anything. Jesus saw their faith by their actions. What does he see? A big giant hole in the roof. Probably some faces that are a little anxious, probably a little sweaty and dirty, but they're, but they're very hopeful faces. And he sees an irrational commitment to one of their friends. 
I think what Jesus sees is what he intended for humanity when he made us in the first place for community. I think that's what he sees. He sees their faith. Jesus looks at the guy. He sees not just his broken body, but he sees the truer need, the guy's broken and fallen soul. So in verse 5, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if the guy on the mat, when Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven, I'm sure the guy's like, What? All that? Really? I, I think the guy might be thinking, you know, I signed up to be healed. I didn't come here to talk about my sins and anything like that. But here's the truth of like a true gospel community. When you're in God's community, somehow sin will surface and then it gets dealt with. When, when I am alone and at home, I can think I'm a very humble person. I get around other people and they get a whole lot of kudos and praise. And I think, hey, what about me? And I'm not very humble. When I'm home alone, I, I think I'm very compassionate. I will cry at Lilo and Stitch. Last night, true story, I'm watching Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And, and I don't... It's an awesome movie, by the way. And, and I'm watching this movie, and there's a scene... If you haven't seen it, there's this... I can't... I want to tell you, but there sometimes this monkey, and I'm like... My wife goes, what's wrong? And I go, my eyes are burning! I got... I got one, I'm like... Ah. I think I'm very compassionate, right? But then I get around a lot of people, and I realize... You guys drive me crazy, you know, and all of a sudden my compassion just kind of goes out the window. This is what is supposed to happen in community. We understand things better. And Jesus is fulfilling this guy's friend's deepest desire because when you truly love God, you want nothing else than to have your friends come to know Jesus and get things right there. Paul Waddell writes this, In spiritual friendship, the principal good is mutual love for Christ and a desire to grow together in Christ. This is what distinguishes spiritual friendships from other relationships. You've got to count on this. In a community with Jesus in it, sin gets named and it gets dealt with. This man has probably been mocked his entire life by people. Oh, what'd you do? Or what'd, you, what'd your parents do? Jesus says in front of everyone, you are clean, forgiven, you are right with God. And you might ask, well, what kind of sins can a paralyzed guy commit anyway? Same ones we do. I mean, Jesus says the, the, the greater sins are the ones that are all inside, pride and arrogance and, and lovelessness and fundamentalism. These are all committed without raising a finger, and they all lead to loss of hope. These are all on the inside. I mean, the question for you and me is what, what occupies our minds when we're not doing anything? Because you can tell a lot about a person by what they think about when they're just sitting around. I love the King James Version of Matthew 23, 7, because it uses the word thinketh. It says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. Yes. I mean, if you're a coach, maybe you make plays on napkins. If you're a musician, maybe you think about music and you write little lyrics down. Maybe if you're a mom, you worry about children. If you're an average 18-year-old, hormone-filled guy, you know, what are you thinking about? You know, if you're a newly married guy on your wedding night, what are you thinking about? What do I think about most of the time? I don't know. See, it's all correlation at some, at some point. You know, and you might think, you know, what does God think about all day? I know he's omniscient, but where does his mind drift? Jesus says God thinks about his children. God's mind moves towards his children the way a shepherd looks for a lost sheep, the way a poor woman searches for a lost coin. That should inspire hope. And so Jesus, what he does first is he deals with the guy's sins. Now, there's other people in the room in chapter, in verse 6. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Literally, why are you thinking these things? I mean, here's the kicker. The teachers of the law were thought of as spiritual giants, but they didn't have any friend to bring to Jesus. What do you think is more important in God's eyes? The specialist in the law, full of all the religious etiquette, but didn't have one person they cared about enough to bring to Jesus? Or four guys that someone like Martha Stewart would hate, who break through a roof, 
but would do anything for their friend. There's a connection between loving God and loving people. It's impossible to share the heart of God without sharing a heart for people. It is impossible. You've got, you got to get this. The, the longer, if you're a believer, the longer you're a believer, most times more judgmental you will become. You think, oh, I'm getting more and more spiritual. Oh, I'm getting better than other people. I don't want to hang out with those smokers or those swearers or those Democrats or those drinkers. And you may be thinking, hey, that, that's all me. What do you do? You, know, right? you, know, you, you might be like... People think that when you're growing spiritually, oh, look, I'm getting so, so much better. When you're simply just growing harder... And harder is not more spiritual. The more mature you grow, the more you should be drawn to people. This is why Jesus says, Matthew 7 1, Judge not that you not be judged. John, in 1 John 4.20, says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. Whom he loves, brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Jesus makes this point. He says, People who don't love people can't love God because God loves people. I mean, God is first and foremost about His glory, but God loves His people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40 says, And He said to them, that's Jesus, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Number one, Jesus, God, period. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love is the expression of the law. It is why it is fulfilled in Christ. Lovelessness is the ultimate expression of sin. This is why we believe that as we grow closer to Christ, our lives will more mirror his by the way we love people and engage in community. See, the teachers of the law had no love for the paralyzed man who needed Jesus' touch. And so Jesus says in verse 10, But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. I think everyone watches. Silence. Atrophied muscles get stronger. Paralysis goes away. He gains muscle tone. Verse 12, And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified. God saying, We never saw anything like this. Yes, you don't normally see someone enter by the roof and leave by the door, unless it's a burglar, right? The guy shifts on his mat. He stands up. He spends his whole life there and never again. His whole world is three by six. Now it's as far as his feet can carry him. His body has been healed, but more importantly, his soul has been healed as well. He is physically, relationally, spiritually the healthiest guy in the room. I think he probably got a great warranty the way Jesus heals things. He's probably like 80 years old and still, woo, let's go. You know, he's probably like that. I think every time he sees a mat, he remembers first Jesus and secondly his friends. Because in, in a human sense, the greatest gift that he had wasn't his legs, it was his friends. Because there's no gift like friendship. Because friendship truly brings hope when it's based in the person of Christ. Wherever and whenever believers have an irrational commitment to each other is where Jesus is. It is the meaning of the most misquoted verse in all the scriptures where two or three are gathered in my name. We could honestly gather in a room this big with this many people and not gather in Jesus' name if Jesus is not the point and the center of our relationships together. I think if you could ask this guy today, if you get him to come here and stand in front of us, you say, what was more important to you, having your, your, your body healed or having your sins forgiven? He'd say, have my sins forgiven. I, my body was just a few years. He goes, it's, it's going to be eternity. And my soul is healed. And this is what true friendship does for each other. We lead people to the foot of Christ so they can be healed, so they can be whole, so they can walk in the life that God intends. And then we walk then this life together with each other. This is why we emphasize communion every single week the way that we do. 
In communion, remember Christ's body that was broken for us by breaking that cracker. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, remind us of his blood that was shed for you and I as his people so we can be first healed and restored, have our sins forgiven and dealt with so that we then can truly be the community that he calls us to be. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we're going to do a couple of these songs. Uh, and we invite you as we do these songs to come and take communion. Uh, if you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for, for any of this, maybe you have lived your life in such a way that, that you're like, oh, I'm not going to connect to anybody. Oh, I don't want to be in any type of gospel community. Go and, and pray with them. Uh, if, if you feel like you've lost a lot of hope, pray with them. I'll tell you, if, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you've never surrendered your, your entire life at his feet, you need to do that. Because then you'll be able to start at the same place this guy started in the story today. At a place of redemption and hope and healing, being able to move forward into all that Jesus calls us to be. There are offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gives so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. So we invite you to do that every single week. It's a response. That's why we don't pass the plate. It's a response to what God has done. And so we respond by giving as well. And then there's some food and stuff in the back. But more importantly, we invite you guys to come to one of our agape dinners. Sign up in the back if you don't have a place to go. If you're like, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do Wednesday night? Just sign up. Come. At this point, I think I have like, like 30 people and 16 kids coming to my house. So woo! It's, gonna, it's raining, so we're all going to be inside. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It really is. Um, so uh, we, we invite you guys. Uh, involved in the community. Again, first, Jesus. Jesus first in all things. And secondly, the community that God calls us to. Would you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, we do ask that you would take us as your people. And help us to understand the true hope and true redemption that you long to bring to our lives. That you would take our hearts and renew them and restore them. And have us truly begin to see things around us the way that you do. That you would impress upon us, most importantly, the need to glorify and honor you. To have our sins forgiven. But you'd also enforce in us the the second commandment. To love others and to be in relationship with them so that we can understand better your gospel and your grace. Father, for the people in this room who are feeling alone and left out of many of the things and lives that go on around them, I ask that you would have them be able to begin to connect and to understand your gospel in terms of the community that you have made. Father, help all of us to look outside of ourselves, to stop devoting so much of our lives to a box of made-up stories, and devote more of ourselves to the true stories that go on around us every single day. Have us truly learn to live and walk as your people. We ask these things in your Son's gracious and good name. Amen.